happy Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Copernall Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Fried Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about public education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us every Friday. Well, we are joined this morning by the amazing Amanda Ewing of our legislative team. Amanda, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks, y'all. Probably doing great now that session has ended. Everyone can take a breath, right? (laughs) Yes. So they wrapped it up a little early this week. They did. We were uh, lucky to get out of there one whole day before they were constitutionally mandated to be done. (laughs) Oh, man. So signy die. So they're done, done, done all the way done until next year. Allegedly. Okay. Well, there were a couple of sort of little things that they wrapped up with education um, here at the very end. So tell us tell us what's what they kind of worked on this week or passed through. Yeah, there were just, uh, you know, a few last minute things that they they worked on. They the house tried to actually pass a bill to uh implement some more regulations on virtual charter schools yeah. like Epic. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately the Senate didn't take that one up at all. Great. So, Great. I mean because yeah. you know, nothing's been happening. There's been no <laughs> a grand jury specifically said handle this. Okay. Well, good. Yeah. I mean, that goes to show you how far the money reach is yeah. for for those schools. Yeah. So they didn't do that. No. Uh, one thing they did do was uh, take a take a big step into micromanaging how school districts handle their uh, vaccine and mask mandates. Awesome. Right. Local control. I've seen I've seen a bunch of this on the news sort of throughout the process of these discussions of like, so where so where did we end up? Let's talk first about masks. Where did where did we end up on that? So a school board can implement a mask mandate mm-hmm. in their school district. Uh, it has to be for all students. It can't just be for students who aren't vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And then um, the the real kind of onerous part is that every single uh, school board meeting, they have to reconsider that mandate. I, I find that part, to me, that is so fascinating because that is designed, in my mind, designed to build um, controversy to sow division. If there's nothing else that a school board is considering every month, you know, you're not every month voting on the dress code. That's true. You're not every month voting to continue teaching. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's no other thing that you're saying, yep, carry on. I mean, we, I just think that that, that part in my mind is designed to get people angry, you know, every month until until a school board feels so much pressure to whatever, I don't know. Right. There's parent input, and then there's a riotous mass of, of angry folks who yeah. come in and just disrupt, and that's their entire purpose. Right, right. Which, which I witnessed at a UConn school board meeting right. uh, this this past month. It was... it. People had to take their second and third graders out because they were so frightened by the yelling and screaming of these people. That's not okay. That's not discourse. You know what I mean? That's not having a conversation. It's, I was just saying earlier, I serve on the Oklahoma City School Board and we have not had any 
of that behavior at our meetings about masks or any of that stuff, which I appreciate. I've gotten plenty of feedback about it. You know what I mean? People will say like, and I got some feedback from people who have kids who maybe have special needs or sensory issues. Like how are we making sure that, you know, kids who physically can't have a mask or I've got a kid who has touch issues like different, you know, I've gotten that kind of feedback and then you can have a conversation and make sure that what you're doing is appropriate. But it just feels like it's designed to rile people up and get just to yell. Yeah. Yeah, definitely to make it as difficult as possible right, for right. a district to maintain a mask mandate. So so also the, the issue of vaccines has come up um, about specifically about COVID, the mm-hmm. COVID vaccine, which is now 12 years and older. You can, right. um, your eligible, kiddos are eligible for that just like adults and they're looking at options for even younger kids. So I'm sorry, go ahead, Amanda. You're, so what, hap- what happened with that? So there were a ton of vaccine bills at the beginning of session. Mm-hmm. And this is the mechanism that made it through. And it says that a school district can't uh, require a student have a COVID vaccine or show their COVID vaccine card uh, in order to attend. And as you know, you know, Oklahoma already has uh, extremely lax vaccine requirements. Mm-hmm. It's very easy for a parent to opt their child out of yeah. that, uh, that you know, vaccination requirement as it is. But we, we're making sure that uh, no school district can, can require a COVID vaccine of its students. And so I, this, I was wondering about this because there are, and I've got kiddos in school. So, you know, you've got to show their, um, their shots and all that stuff. Like, but could, wouldn't it just... If a, if a school district wanted to implement a COVID vaccine or something like that, like, wouldn't it just fall? I mean, there are exemptions now. For so school districts don't usually implement the vaccine. Okay, go ahead. It's the State Department of Health in conjunction with the State Department of Education. Right. And and, and then there's a process that you go through right. to to get on that, that mandated list. And, you know, um, so we think back of what are the things on that list. Do we see polio right now? Right. right. No, because we've vaccinated our children. Right. Do we see smallpox? Do we see, yeah. you know, uh, all, all these different illnesses that because of vaccines are no longer around and people are no longer dying from them. And you can opt out now. And you can opt out now. You can have a religious opt out. You can have a medical opt out. So there are ways that parents, all they have to do is. I think there's also like a personal opt out. Like, I think so too. Like, Just I like, don't, a, I don't, I'm <laughs> not a fan. Nope. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I looked back at the bill for just a second when you said that, Alicia, and and the bill does actually also prohibit the state board of education from requiring any kind of COVID vaccine. So, <laughs> so our only hope would be the state department of health because it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't regulate them in this bill. But True. now that I've said that, they'll probably listen to it and fix that next year. <laughs> so <laughs> done <welcome>. and done. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, anything else that's ra- that's wrapping up this week or we're just. You know, and I should clarify, uh, the governor hasn't actually signed that mask bill yet. I okay. expect that sure. will. Yeah. But, uh, it's not officially law yet. Um, you know, those are the highlights as far as education yeah. goes this week um and and they are done and frankly i'm glad that they're not sticking around to uh do anything else because from a <laughs> policy perspective you know this has not been a great session for public right. education it's been a lot i mean you guys have been you guys have been fighting voucher expansion you got i mean you guys have been 
there, there's been a lot of policy stuff this year. We have the most voucher expansion bills of any legislature in the United States. <gasps> what? Is that true? It's oh, my true yeah. story. Oh, we, we win? i say that defeated, you know, 13 of the 14 bills. Yes. But the yes. one that got at the end, you know, makes us, I think, I, I think number one in the nation as far as oh, uh, again. tax credits for, cool. for public schools. So uh, that's unfortunate. We, <laughs> we win in all of the categories. But according to okay. the legislature, those aren't vouchers. Okay. Right. They're tax credits for public and private school donations. And, and yeah, they want to say, well, that's not a voucher. But uh, uh, it absolutely is. We're spending government money uh, yeah. to subsidize private school tuition uh, by any, you know, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, right? Yes. It's a duck. Well, this year, <laughs> this year was, you know, it, it has been it this school year, this calendar year, this, uh, you know, everything has been so exhausting this year. And to, it has been amazing to me to see educators and support professionals fight this stuff. I mean, I'm just like, how... How much energy does anybody have left in the tank? You know, by the yeah. by the time we get to this, and people were still calling their lawmakers. You know, sending emails like that was, I mean, just uh, education folks get it done. Doing the postcard things. I mean, yeah, we, we had a, a new deal this year where people could take a picture of themselves, and it went on a postcard, and then they had a letter. and I, And when I was over there, several legislators pulled those out as reasons why they were That's so cool. voting a certain way on a certain bill. Yeah, I was just, I mean, really floored and amazed. I mean, our members and Oklahoma educators just um, never cease to uh, surpass, you know, what's remotely reasonable past <laughs> <laughs> You know, we would, I mean, I can go over to the Capitol and say, educators would really like you to pass this bill or, or defeat this bill, but you know, unless we've got actual educators calling their office, sort of backing me up and yeah, saying, you yeah. know, no, vote yes, vote no, they don't care. And so I was just amazed at how often, you know, they really were still taking that time to send the emails, the postcards, the phone calls. And um, and it, it matters. It matters so much. Um, you know, it was a very rough session for public ed, but we still ended up in a very good situation with funding. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're going to have more money going into the classroom next year. And, and we absolutely have, you know, educators, teachers and support professionals to thank for that, for that advocacy. You know, this advocacy this year looked so different, you know, because physically we couldn't all be together all the time. Um, towards the end, we, you know, there were folks who went up to the Capitol to lobby in person and all of that. But um it, it seems like it would be hard to make a relationship with lawmakers if you can't invite them to your school or have coffee with them or what, you know, that that really wasn't happening like normal ahead of the session. So what what sort of advice do you have now? Like what what do we need to be doing now after we um, take a really good long nap over this holiday weekend and then don't do anything for several days at all? People take a break. Yes, that's priority number one. Get some rest, uh, you know, relax. But uh, you hit on something I've been saying all session, Carrie, which is that it really felt like this year our legislators were not connected to their public schools and their communities and, mm. and not understandable considering yeah. the, you know, year that we've had. Yeah. Um, they literally couldn't step foot in their schools. Nobody right. could. And right. you're not seeing people. You're not seeing your, you know, right. your district 
teachers or your kids' teachers, you know, out in the community or at an event or even maybe at, at church or the grocery store. And so, so I feel like something that we uh, in public ed really need to focus on, uh, especially this fall semester, is just reconnecting, getting our legislators mm-hmm. back in the classrooms. Mm-hmm. They need to see the amazing work that's happening in, in all of our schools and, and really be reminded, you know, as public officials, uh, who they're there to yeah. represent and support and that, you know, and that we need their their help. I, I think yeah. any chance you can get to have them come, you know, teach a class or read to some kids or, you know, come have coffee with, with your local association. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just do everything we can this fall to try to, you know, reestablish those connections and, and make sure that when they come back to the session next February, they're a little closer connected to their to their public schools than they you know than than unfortunately we were just completely uh, unable to have them be this session. You know when I think about um, the connection folks have to their schools, I th- it I think that sometimes unless you are working there or you have kids there, you think of schools as buildings and not children, and I just can imagine this year that being even you know, and nobody's in the buildings, <laughs> that, yeah. that, that that's even harder to build that empathy or to recognize that, you know, these are kids we're serving. It's not just sort of this uh, bureaucratic entity, that mysterious unknown. It's like, these are children, you know? Yes. You know, there were things said on the floor of the House and Senate this session that really kind of made my jaw drop that I've never heard before, where they, you know, a legislator, more than one would say, you know, I know you're hearing from your superintendents and I know you're hearing from your teachers on this, but you know, they don't, they don't speak for, for parents and public schools and children. And, okay. uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because we don't live in our communities and pay the same taxes right. and, you know, so we've oh got to remind them, right? We, they need to be back in their own communities and remembering yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, superintendent is the leader of a school district, and and nine times out of ten, they are absolutely speaking, yeah. you know, in in the best interest of those kids in the schools. Yes, if you if or you're ten out of ten, I don't even think I should have said nine times out of ten. Yes, ten times out of ten. <laughs> but I mean, you don't get to that point and not care about children, especially the kids in your town. Like, come on. Well, um, Amanda, we hope that you are taking a good long nap. Over this weekend? Or are you going for that $3 million bounty to bring Bigfoot in alive? What? (laughs) You know, I'm planning on uh, meeting up with some family, having a cookout by the swimming pool. I'm so excited for for the weekend. Good. Well, you take a good long break. Great work this session. Uh, you You guys are awesome, and we appreciate what you do. Well, thank you so much for talking to us all through session. It is uh, really nice to get to kind of chat about what's going on at at the Capitol. So I appreciate what you all do. Well, we are excited today to be joined by Adam Soltani, who's the Executive Director of CARE Oklahoma. Adam, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you both doing? Doing great. It's Friday. Absolutely. So I've got to know, why is it called fried okra? I love fried <laughs> okra, but where did the name come from? It's like a, sm- a sm- smush up of Friday Education, Oklahoma. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's like, awesome. <laughs> 
Well, so tell us about CARE, um, the Oklahoma chapter of CARE. Tell us what you guys, what you guys do, what your mission is, um, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So CARE is spelled C-A-I-R, and it stands for the Council on American Islamic Relations. And we have a long mission statement. You can see it on our website, careoklahoma.com. But I summarize it like this. I say that our purpose as a nonprofit organization is to improve the quality of life for Muslims of all ages and all ethnic backgrounds living in the state of Oklahoma. And by extension, we're improving the quality of life for all Oklahomans, because when we, you know, Uh, For example, when we defend or protect or advocate for First Amendment rights of Muslims, we're advocating for the First First Amendment rights of all people Mm -hmm. under the Constitution of the United Mm -hmm. States. When we advocate for more inclusion and recognition of the diversity of students in the schooling system, we're actually not just advocating for Muslims, by extension, we're advocating for all people Mm -hmm. who may not fit in the majority. So Mm -hmm. our goal is to improve the quality of life for Muslims and all Oklahomans through our civil rights work. Uh, We have a full-time attorney on staff that helps people who face challenges related to discrimination and keeps an eye on civil rights-related issues. We have a full-time government affairs advocacy director who is constantly in touch with elected officials around the state. Um, You know, as you already probably know, and I'm sure your listeners know, you know, we've always got so many interesting and sometimes crazy bills we've got to keep an eye on. A lot of them pertain to education. A lot of them pertain to um, religious freedoms and things like that. Mm -hmm. So that's what our government affairs director does. And we have a a community outreach director that interacts with our community, the Muslim community, as well as external communities in different faith communities, social justice communities, and stuff like that. And we are in the process, very excited to mention uh, that we're in the process of launching a new prison outreach ministry uh, program that will focus on providing resources to Muslims incarcerated in Mm -hmm. prison. Um, A lot of them convert to Islam while they're in prison, so they need that educational component. So we're in the Mm -hmm. process of working with actually some Muslim scholars. Uh, One of them, Imam Soheib Webb, who is the resident scholar at the Islamic Center of New York University. And I've been in some discussions to create a curriculum uh, that Muslim inmates can go through basics in advance. So yeah, we do a lot of work in the community and, you know, we've been around for 15 years. This is our 15 year anniversary in 2021. And, you know, I've been honored to be a part of this for nine years. Uh, It feels sometimes just like yesterday. And then sometimes it feels like I've been doing it for much longer than that. Uh, So yeah, I'm the executive director and I, you know, help with the strategic vision. I network a lot with the community mm-hmm. and uh, just appreciate being on the podcast with you today. Yeah. Well, other than seeing you on TV as a representative, uh, I, I um, know you through the Oklahoma Conference of Churches with yes. uh, Reverend Dr. Shannon Fleck and, and the work that is done through that organization as well with No Hate in the Heartland and, mm. and uh, other things. So um, excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, so talk to us about, you know, um, whenever you think about um, like a, you were discussing the, the breadth and depth of the Muslim community, just like any faith community looks many different ways. People express their faith many different ways. Um, what what advice or what message would you have for educators who maybe aren't as familiar with Islam, who have a student or two students in their class um, who are Muslim? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. So, you know, definitely this is a very important topic because 
increasingly educators in Oklahoma and around the country, for that matter, are seeing more Muslim students in their classroom. And of course, it's going to depend, like in a place like Oklahoma, you're more likely to have a Muslim student in your classroom in Oklahoma City or Tulsa sure. than you are in Guymon, for example. I actually have right. a friend who teaches out in Guymon in the public school system. So yeah, Muslims are going to be concentrated in the metropolitan areas. Mm -hmm. And then also you have Muslims like in Stillwater, in Lawton, um, in Ada, in, in, in Ardmore, and either they're in those locations like Stillwater and Lawton, they're there because of the education system. They work at Cameron University down in mm -hmm. Lawton, OSU up in Stillwater, and in Ada and Ardmore, there's some very uh, strong uh, medical fields over there, you know, Mercy mm -hmm. Hospital and such. So a lot of Muslims in the medical fields. So those are the locations where you're going to run into Muslims, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, outside of that, you would not. But yet, it's very important to be prepared and aware of the basics of the Islamic faith and the basics of the Muslim community, because you never know when you may come into contact with someone. So we actually created... And maybe y'all can link to this in the podcast. I just threw a y'all out there. <laughs> See, I speak I speak English and I speak Oki just for the yes. listeners out there. You know? <laughs> Y'alls are always welcome on Friday. Y'all, y'all, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we have an educator's guide to Islamic religious practices. It's available on our website. And awesome. we actually crafted this specifically so educators could have some of the basic understanding of like, you know, terminology, uh, some of the beliefs of Muslims, mm -hmm. um, some of the basic practices like the five daily prayers, which mm -hmm. are required for Muslims over the age of puberty. So if you teach like in middle school or high school, mm -hmm. you may have a Muslim student that wants to take a, a break. 10, 15 minute break at some point during the day to do like their prayer. So those things are very important to know. So what we, what I, you know, I talk to educators and I do trainings for, for different, you know, groups at, at different levels. And I always tell them, look, know the basics, but also remember that you can't generalize because Muslims come from over 70 different countries. Right. Um, you've got over 50 Muslim majority countries. You've got other countries where Muslims are a strong minority. I mean, here in Oklahoma, look, I'm an Iranian American. My wife's a Palestinian American, was mm -hmm. raised by a Moroccan stepfather. So my children yeah. who are going to school, they have the influence of the you know Iranian heritage, Palestinian heritage, Moroccan heritage, yeah. and their Oki heritage, right? So it's all <laughs> yeah. this, like mixed up garbled thing. And so to be aware of the basics, but also don't generalize. I, I just said Muslims pray five times a day, but not all Muslims pray five times a day, right? Like you just find, you'll find some Christians who go to church on Sunday, some who don't, right? So there is a lot of diversity, even within the practice itself. So I also I tell people, know the basics. And, you know, Care Oklahoma, we have resources that can help with that. Know the basics, but also know that you can't generalize and apply those to everyone. And so I always tell people, with sensitivity, with compassion, and with an eagerness and sincerity to learn, get to know your students and ask them questions and say, how can I, as your teacher, as your administrator, how can I make sure that your learning environment is the most comfortable for you? To give you an example, I went to Edmond Santa Fe High School in Edmond, Oklahoma, I had a wonderful experience, uh, fond memories of, of going there, graduating from there. But I found my faith while I was in school. So mm -hmm. I did not start Edmond Santa Fe High School as a practicing Muslim. Mm -hmm. uh, I was raised by a father from Iran who is a Muslim and a, a white American mother from Olathe, Kansas, who is Catholic. Mm -hmm. And so I accepted the Islamic faith at the age of 17 
the summer before I started 11th grade. Mm-hmm. And so there was a shift in my behavior, in my attitudes, sure. and obviously in my religious practices. But because I was afraid to talk about it, and I don't think any of my teachers, you know, they were not intentionally, they just did not have the awareness to come talk to me and ask me. I was afraid to pray at school. I never did. Mm-hmm. I was afraid to talk about fasting during the holy month of Ramadan where I don't eat or drink, you know, mm-hmm. from sunup to sundown. So I just made some silly excuses. And instead of going to the cafeteria, I went to the library during the lunch hour. But I wish I had the opportunity to feel more of myself as a sure. person of faith while I was in school. And I think that's more important now than it's ever been because people need to be holy themselves, 100% who they are, no matter where they're at. Yeah. And I have found, by the time I graduated from the University of Central Oklahoma and I got my first job at the Department of Human Services, I finally had enough courage to talk about my faith. So the first day on the job, I went to my supervisor, I said, I pray five times a day, I'm a Muslim, is it okay if I pray at work? And long story short, That was the first time in my life when I was able to pray at work, when I was able to talk about observing the holy month of Ramadan at work and be 100% who I am, that I felt like I was a better, not just individual, but I was a better committed employee. So that made me think, how much of a better student could I have been? How much more of a committed student could I have been in terms of learning, in terms of maybe being part of student organizations and giving back uh, through the school? if I could have been authentically myself while in school. And I think I highlight that because I think a lot of children still go through this challenge, especially it's worth mentioning in the United States where there is an atmosphere that has existed and continues to exist of anti-Muslim racism and Mm anti-Muslim hatred, Mm -hmm. you know, with hate crimes, political rhetoric and things like that. So, you know, in summary, I would, like educators and administrators and those in the education field, be aware of the basics, learn a little bit about Islam and Muslims, be aware of the needs of your student, don't be afraid to have conversations with them, and also be aware that we live in an environment in which not everybody is saying, hey, come here, we love you, we embrace you, we accept you for who you are. But in education, students need to learn that they can be who they are and they can be accepted. That's as much a part of the educational process as learning, you know, the alphabet or learning calculus or any of those things. Agreed. So, so how could an educator um, be more inclusive in the classroom with curriculum and learning and, um, and supporting our Muslim students? Sure. That's a great question. So I can speak from my experience growing up and some of the things that I've seen throughout the years. So one of the first things is, look, we got to accept the fact that we live in a country that is overwhelmingly influenced by Christianity. OK, and even though the, in the schooling system and we, we have this idea and this concept of separation of church and state, there's also the ability for students to have, you know, their uh, organizations, as long as they run independent of the school system, like FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes Mm -hmm. and things like that. And then, of course, you have the recognition in American culture and even through the schooling system of things like, you know, the Christmas holidays and Easter. And I know it's, it's changed over the years, but I grew up in a time where I very clearly recall, you know, Christmas and Easter and things like that being a part of our everyday 
life in the public school system. Mm -hmm. So I think recognizing that at first and recognizing how can we bring conversations about diversity in the classroom. So for example, this year is the first year that the holy month of Ramadan fell entirely in the school year since, I don't know, the last, uh, probably last time was maybe 10, 12 years ago because it moves back 11 days each year. Mm -hmm. But bringing that conversation in the classroom and telling students, hey, did you know that today is the first day of the holy month of Ramadan? What is that? Why is it important? Who is it important for? Then you have at the end of Ramadan, you have the Eid holiday. Why is that important? Who is that important for? And that also goes to, you know, the images in the classroom. You know, what images do we have uh, when we talk about, you know, uh, looking at different cultures, you know, you have pictures of people on the wall. Are they reflection of the diversity of the classroom and the people who come in the school or not? So that's very mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's not just restricted, by the way, to Muslims. I'm a part, as you mentioned, you know, I'm, a, I'm the chair of the Religious United Committee of the Oklahoma Conference of Churches. I've long been involved and I'm a staunch advocate for interfaith work. I believe it's very important that we use opportunities to build bridges rather than building barriers between us. Sure. And so I think I would love to see a world in which my children grow up. Uh, I have I have children who are just now, my youngest just finished pre-K, so he'll be in kindergarten next year. Oh, my oldest is starting third grade. So I want them to grow up in a world in which they talk about you know, the month of Ramadan, they talk about Hanukkah and Rosh Hashanah for the Jewish community. Mm -hmm. They talk about Holi and Diwali for the Hindu community, because I feel like in a globalized society that we live in now, young people and people of all ages have to be aware. And look, I teach right. uh, at Oklahoma State University. I'm an adjunct instructor of religious studies. My favorite class, which I didn't teach after the first semester I was there, I was uh, asked to teach it the second semester. And now I say, hey, if you don't let me teach this class, I don't want to teach at all. It's Introduction to World Religions. I absolutely love this class. And for two reasons. One, I get to interact with a lot of new students. A lot of them, it's their first semester on campus. Yeah. And, you know, that's fun in and of itself, getting to know new students. But secondly, and most importantly, the feedback I hear from my students is this is the best class they've ever taken because they get to talk about things they've never talked about before. They get to learn about yeah. things they've never learned about before. And how sad is it that we can go through, at least I speak for myself, I don't know because I'm obviously my kids are still young, but I went through, you know, kindergarten through 12th grade in Kansas, Alabama and Oklahoma. So three different states. And I did not learn anything about the diversity of the religions we have here in our country mm -hmm. and in the world mm -hmm. until I was probably well into my late 20s. And I got introduced to interfaith work, fell in love with it, and spent a lot of time studying it. And now I teach it. So, and that's the feedback I get from my students is like, wow, this is important information. Why have we not learned about this before? So that being said, I think to answer your question and to reiterate, finding ways to incorporate these discussions into the classroom. Kids are curious, kids are smart, and they need to know because they're gonna have friends who are Muslim, who are right. Hindu, who are right. Jewish, uh, who are, are, are Buddhist. You know, Buddhism is the largest non-Christian tradition in the state of Oklahoma, you know? And a lot of people oh, don't know that. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that, but statistically it is. And so if we don't know about Buddhism, we're actually doing a great disservice to ourselves because right. outside of a Christian, we're more likely to run into a Buddhist than anyone else. 
you know? So anyways, those are some ideas. And I think reaching out to the communities, if you don't know, you're an educator, you're an administrator, you don't know what to do. The communities love to help, you know, reach out to any of these communities, reach out to the Oklahoma Conference of Churches, reach out to the Interfaith Alliance of Oklahoma. There are resources that will assist you with this. And if people want to find out more about CARE um, Oklahoma, how can people how can people find out more? How can people access information? Sure. So our website, www.carecairoklahoma.com. It's always kept up to date with a lot of new information. Um, we, we even have a blog where we publish things all the time. So check that out. We're also on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're active on all those platforms under the name Care Oklahoma. And then you can also follow me. I'm an open book. Um, I tell people, Google me, but I warn them, you know, you're not going to like everything you read because when you, when you do advocacy work and you do community work, and when you're also in a minority that's, that receives a lot of hate, you know, you're going to get attacked online. And, and I've accepted that for myself, but I haven't accepted that for my children. So that's why I'm yeah. so, so strongly invested in creating this environment in which hopefully kids will learn that we're actually more similar than we are different. Yeah. And thus, there's no need to, to, to hate or dislike one another. But yeah, you can find me, uh, for that matter, online, Adam Soltani. I'm on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I also did a TikTok, but I'm not very go. good. Yeah, it's too <laughs> much for me. It's too much. You know, I, I created a few videos. I got I got like 3,500 followers, but I'm like, you know what? I just, I'm, I'm too old for this. I, I don't know if I can do it, you know? So I'll leave it to the young folks to do the TikTok. But yeah, follow me. Uh, you know, I tell people, have friends from these yeah. communities is the best way to start the learning process. Because, you know, if you start by creating a friendship with one person, you can make those mistakes. You can ask the silly questions, you know, that, that may make you feel silly, but they're not actually silly. You need to ask them. And so I say, if you don't have a Muslim friend, I'll be your Muslim friend, you know, find me on Facebook, <laughs> but, but befriend people from different communities. And also something very important, if you're not uncomfortable with this idea and you're not uncomfortable with learning about something you know nothing about and where you're not uncomfortable with trying to make a friend from a different maybe faith or ethnic background, then you need to get uncomfortable, you know? So you, you, you have to be in that, that circumstance where you're like, I, I'm not, I don't feel right. You know, I'm not like in my comfort zone. Yeah. And that's when we learn, you know, that's yeah. when we grow as people. So get out of your comfort zone and have the courage to do that. So you can, hopefully impart that wisdom and that knowledge upon your students and future generations. Well, we appreciate your time so much, Adam, and we appreciate the work that you do in our state. Thank you so much. It's been great to be on fried okra. You know, with a name like that, we should really be eating <laughs> okra while we talk. Right? But, you know, <laughs> right. next time I, I want some fried okra the next time I'm on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> deal. Deal. <laughs> Thank you all so much and Thank you. Uh, you know, happy to help in any way that I can in helping people better, you know, create a better learning environment for all our students. So thank you so much. And thank you to all the educators out there and the people in the education system who are doing such an amazing job in our state. And welcome to Alicia's Morning Announcements. Do, 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 do. All right. We have uh, some fun things going on this week including Northeast A. So if you live in the Vanita, mm-hmm. 
um, let me think, no water is included in that, up in that area, um, which is a large area. Mm -hmm. There is a zone meeting at um, North Park in Vanita on June uh, 2nd. At 11.30, if you're going to go, you need to let somebody know because they're doing box lunches. Um, the counties are Adair, Craig, Delaware, Mays, Nawada, and Owada County. Okay. Those are the counties in Northwest A. All I right. slipped real quick. All the ones. Yeah, all of those of counties. So yep. if you're there and you want to meet other uh, OEA members, yeah, then go to the park. There's on June 2nd. Legislative wrap-up. Yes. see people in real life. The, and Sherry Callahan, who's been the longtime yeah. board member, um, is uh, is termed out. And so Angela Frankie from Nowata has run for and won that position. So um, there'll be a switching of yeah. the, the officers. Of two, and Two good people. I'm, I'm going to run down for uh, a lunch and come back for... Something else happening on June 2nd <laughs> uh, at 530. That is the Senate Bill 683 Town Hall. Mm -hmm. So this is 683 is a bill that um, changes uh, e education support professionals ability to enroll in teacher retirement yeah. system. Yeah. So the current law is that they had to wait a right. year right. before they could join. Right. So now they'll be able to join immediately. Mm -hmm. And, um, but once they make their election of whether they want to join TRS or not, the teacher retirement mm -hmm. system or not, they cannot change their mind. You're either in or you're out. Man. And you have to make it within 30 days of the law going into effect uh -huh. or 30 days of your employment. Man. People so, need to not miss out on opting in. Right. It's TRS is great. Yeah. So um, so we're having the um, chief legal counsel of the Oklahoma Teacher Retirement System. Awesome. Uh, come and uh, participate along with their government relations uh, person as well. Awesome. Um, our chief general counsel, Richard Wilkinson, will be on. And so we'll explain the law in detail mm -hmm what it means, what is teacher retirement system, yeah. and what would be the benefit of joining. Right, right. And what is the cost of joining. Right, right. And um, so it's going to be a really informative evening, specifically designed for our ESPs. Yes. However, um, our local leaders and board members are invited, general members are invited as well, because we all know ESPs mm -hmm. that may or may not be able to be on the call. Right. And so this is a big deal. Yeah, it's a huge deal. And the more you know. Facts. The more you know, mm -hmm. the more you can help. Yep. And then finally, we are um, we've been working on a uh, page on our on our website mm -hmm. for the Tulsa Race Massacre Centennial. Mm -hmm. Teaching tools, you know, uh, links to websites, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff to help you in the classroom or just to learn about it yourself. Yeah. Because we didn't all learn about it in school. Right. Absolutely. And conversations from this podcast, too. Right. Videos and all kinds of good stuff. Right. So we that is at okea.org slash 1921. Yes. So um, go on our website and check out the wealth of resources that it is for the Tulsa Race Massacre and mm -hmm. a wealth of other topics. Yep. When it's I've loved I love the com hearing the conversation 
especially this past year around this issue and our curriculum and how educators are teaching it and wanting to wanting to get better and wanting to teach more and wanting to empower our students to know about their history as Oklahomans. And I've just, I've loved those conversations. They're so important. And knowing that it's not just high school yeah. that should be teaching about this. Yes. I mean, th there are ways to bring things like this up yep. in pre-K. Yep. Uh, all the way through high school. And yep. for those of us who went to school in Oklahoma and it wasn't part of the curriculum because it was, you know, hidden and hushed mm -hmm. and, you know, we didn't talk about it. Yeah. Buried in mass graves. Yes. Uh, it's time for us to know better and do better. Yep. Yep. And that's what, that's what we've got to do. And that's, that's what educators do all the time. And yep. so I, I love Go check out those resources because I know there are lots of people who want to know more and they want to, they want to be the best educators they can be. So. Yep. And finally, congratulations for making it through another school year. Good gravy. Like everyone deserves a high five. Yeah. High five yourself on our behalf. You guys are amazing. I just want to hug and squish everyone's faces, which isn't pandemic or socially appropriate, but I just. But well, we're vaccinated. Uh, yes. And so. Now it's just socially not appropriate yeah. for me to hug everyone. I just am like, just in awe of everyone this year. I just, whenever I hear my, all the stuff that my kids' teachers have done, and I'm just like, gosh, like this is, these are just a handful of teachers and this is happening all across the state, all across the country. Teachers and professional, professional staff are make, they made it happen this year. Yeah, like good Lord, everyone is allowed to be in a self-induced coma until like early August. Until the time at which you think that you should come out <laughs> of said coma. And right? then and then everyone take a break. I'm just, ugh. Everyone, what a year. What a year. And way to go. And way to go. Well, uh, we want to say thank you so much to Amanda Ewing of our, our legislative team, uh, Adam Sultani, the executive director of Council on American Islamic Relations here in Oklahoma, uh, both of them for joining us today. And thank you for listening to Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall-Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Fried Okra on Apple Podcasts. You can also contact us at friedokrapodcast at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, keep fighting the good fight for public education.